the Flash and Survivor Girls. Welcome to a bonus edition of Creep the Real Horrorcast. I'm your host, Meg. I am Lunchbox, and she had me introduce myself in the middle of a, as a sip. And that was fun. About <laughs> <I> drowned. <laughs> All right. And on this episode, besides Lunchbox drowning himself, first we'd like to thank you guys so much for joining us, as always, especially considering this is a bonus, unscheduled, super fun time episode. Yeah, our little creeping quickies. Like, share, subscribe, comment, uh, pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. Um, we can't grow our audience without you guys. So, this was Lunchbox's brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. Brilliant, Pythias. Yes, it was. <laughs> Sorry, I had to call you out on that. That's great. <laughs> the amount of daggers being thrown in my way is it's so, it's so nice. Why don't you get to the point, Craig? Okay, so for this creeping quickie, uh, I have kind of labeled myself to be the John Cusack from High Fidelity uh, status because he just absolutely loved List. So... I wanted to just do another list for this, uh, well, this creeping quickie. Um, so I thought of trying to figure out what uh, topic I wanted to do, and I kind of wanted to go with an easy one. I wanted to go with our top 10 horror movie antagonists. This could be our your creatures, your monsters, and on top of that, just your asshole humans that are just fucking it up for everybody else. So, I mean, this is in and all our top 10 and it's not everyone's got their own top 10s this is at least for me and i'm pretty sure you did your list the same this is your go-to so these are your favorites these are you know what makes you feel good type of thing not any type of popularity contest i did it yeah i did it mixed with that and i kind of for myself I looked at it as not only is it someone that like a character that I really liked, but also a character that was particularly effective because sometimes there's characters that I like that don't necessarily work that well, but I like them for different reasons. I tried to find like base my list on both of those qualities, but that was me personally. Yeah. Kind of I mean, thing. and the way that I try to view it is more and, and when I do any list, uh, I try to, hold it to the standpoint of how much do I pay this piece of art, you know, the attention. Um, so that it's like, it, it that's kind of how it, it fell for me. Um, and so this one was like, okay, well how many, you know, how many times do I, have I watched that particular character or how many times do I talk about that particular character and what would that mean to me? Um, and I think it's, it, we got a pretty good list going. Yeah, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this thing, I just want to give everyone a heads up that it is fall. Something is blooming. It is allergy season round seven in Central Florida. So if I'm a little sniffly, I'm sorry. Sniffles. I'll try and edit you out. <laughs> Do your best with that because, boy, I've had a bad day. All right. So, my dear, since this was my idea, mm-hmm. I'll let you take first shot do you want to jump in right to the top 10 or do you want to talk about our honorable mentions first for a minute let's go in with our honorable mentions so this will be this will be fun so this is number 11 this is the it's the one who didn't quite make the cut but had but for me if if i didn't have certain ones on this list it definitely would have made 
the list for sure. Um, and the only reason that it didn't is because you never saw him. My honorable mention is Billy from Black Christmas, 1974. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. I really liked the Billy character. I thought on the phone he was perfectly creepy. He was super effective. It was scary. But we never really saw him. Yeah. We didn't see him at all except for an eyeball. So, oh, my God. That eye, uh, like... I but that's one of the scariest scenes uh, in the whole movie is the reveal that he's got a brown eye. I <laughs> good one. <laughs> Points. Um, that was the one scene that, for a very long time, gave me the goosebumps. Like it was just that that chill up your spine, yeah. and for it being a movie from what the seventies. And it's being able to do that on a first viewing, it's like, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, absolutely good. Yep. So, so yeah. Billy is a good damn pick. Billy is a good horror movie villain, but he didn't make, the only reason he didn't make the list at all is because we didn't see him. That's all. Oh, good job. Yeah. like it. You? Um, my honorable mention, I was kind of batting around with it, but I really mm-hmm. do love this character. I went with Audrey 2 from The Little <laughs> Shop of Horrors. It is a <laughs> musical comedy, but the... With an alien plant. The, the tone... It's, that it's eats ve- people. It's very weird. It deals with murder and all this other stuff. Feed me. But dude, like those songs, like I just get my rump shaking and it's it's, it's great. Yeah, it well, it was... All the music was, was done by Howard Ashman, who... Um, Famously did some of who was famously involved in the Disney Renaissance back in the late eighties and early nineties. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Plus, uh, Steve uh, Martin's in it. Oh my god! And Rick Moranis is in it. So good. Like it's got a really good cast and just but uh, but for Audrey, I just love that creature and, and and also too the I'm a big sucker for puppets and like you know the Muppets and Jim Henson. Company, I just love the the way that you can make something move so lifelike, and they did. There was little tiny uh, things that they had for Audrey, uh, where it was the plant's lips would move when it when it spoke, and it made it feel so realistic, and mm-hmm. it was great. And ha- and I absolutely love Rick Moranis. So the fact that he had to go and kill people and feed it to this plant and the plant just kept overgrowing and uh it got to the point where i guess there's a a bonus feature or it's like a an end clip where that was never used that uh audrey survives and grows and sprouts and all these giant there was a bunch of baby plants i think wasn't there well there was the baby plants but at the end scene it's all these giant audrey's it's it's a it's you could just see them in the city, took over. and they're just walking around, just uh, destroying things. And I was like, "That's crazy! That that's what they want." And we have to. a potted Audrey too on our uh, kitchen counter, <laughs> and that's that's one of the reasons why it's uh we uh, we were walking around Michaels and about a year ago, I think. Yeah, and, and it was just one of those things. I saw that damn. It, it's just a it's a plant. It's got the big sharp teeth in it, and I lost like we were in the store and i lost it and you were just like you gotta you're in public sir and i was like no i need this now it's like i never i never cared less about my bank account 
than I did at that point. <laughs> I was like, I don't care what I have in it. I don't care. I have to steal money from somebody to get this home with me right now. This plant's it's, coming home. It's great. And it's, and it's on display in our house year round. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it is a, a yearly decoration. It is decoration. a permanent fixture. I love Audrey. So getting into the actual list, yeah. um, my number 10 was one we just did recently. Uh, this one was a surprise winner for me. Um, chicken but, dinner? Sure. Chicken dinner. Chicken dinner. Or puppy dinner. Ooh. Yeah. It was Ginger, Catherine Isabel's character from oh, Ginger cool. Snaps. Yeah. I really ended up loving the movie. Um, but just the way that Catherine, Catherine Isabel played her, where she just embraced the villain and... Even from the beginning, you knew something was wrong with Ginger. You knew that she was not... She didn't play well with others. Yeah, that was... So... Yeah, all over the Her place. becoming a werewolf was like the most natural thing on the planet. And um, and even the after her turn, or after she started getting into her transformation, the fact that she just... She had no remorse and she was not shy about killing people because she had to or even because she wanted to um and she went from having this sort of dominant role in her sister's life in terms of their relationship to just absolutely ruining it um or trying to ruin it that was real serious but yeah i think ginger is probably my favorite villain but she's also a little bit of a a little bit of a misunderstood creature too so she's got a little bit of that element too i actually uh had a thought after we did the recordings, and I was just like, okay, well, you know, we're done, so I don't have to think about it anymore. But I thought it'd be really cool if the roles were flipped, where if uh, Bridget was in the ginger role, so it's like you know the girl that was very shy and to herself, just all of a sudden like went, you know, well, the, sequel, the opposite direction. The sequel and... is Bridget's story. Oh, is it? Okay, two is Bridget's story. There yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. All right. What's so, your, what's your number ten? So we got ginger for you. Mine is a group effort. I picked the killer clowns from outer space. All of them? All of them. Hence, uh... A gaggle of clowns. Uh, 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 a giggle of clowns. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, clever. So, I picked the killer clowns from outer space, uh, mainly for just how ridiculous they are. Yeah. Um, I am a sucker for clowns. I absolutely love them. Uh, they don't terrify me. They make me laugh in, in every shape or form. Uh, so the killer clowns was great just because the movie itself is just very bad, but it's one of those movies that kind of feels like it knows that it's bad and so that it makes it good. And it just doesn't care. Yeah. And having the clowns, the whole premise is that they land their circus tent spaceship down in the in the woods and they're running around the city and they're collecting bodies to fuel their spaceship so that they could travel to an other other places the great thing is that they're they're going around and they're pulling up all these different kind of clown things to do like there's a there's one where uh one of the i think it's it's the um pipsqueak clown he's doing shadow puppets on the wall and then the shadow comes to life and then bites a guy's head off and it's 
It's ridiculous. And that but I think my uh two of my favorite clown moments is there is one where the clown goes outside of a diner and there's a little girl and she looks over at the clown and the clown's like making faces at her and he's waving mm-hmm. at her. Super creepy because he's not breaking eye contact with her at all. Nope. And then, then he does this thing where he like does the finger wiggle and he's like, come here. Like, come on, come here. And I was just like, and the girl's just like, okay. And I'm like, fuck that noise. Like you see something that creepy looking at you and it's just wiggling. It's like, no, it's not a cute clown. The thing is like, it's a monster. It's and crazy. the trolls in Ernest Scared Stupid were yep. all based off of the killer clowns designs. That is true. Which is a nice little. And that's bit. one of the reasons why I like Ernest Scared Stupid so much. But uh, one of the other, one of my f- other favorite scenes is uh, our heroes end up going into the police station and the movie's been built up where the police chief, he's kind of a prick. He actually plays the dean in most college movies. He's mm-hmm. just that guy. I forget his name. But, Isn't uh, he the, the principal in The Breakfast Club too? No. Is that the one I'm thinking of? No, 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 no. no. That's somebody the, completely different. The dean in Van Wilder? Same guy? No. Guy. I think uh, I forget. I've been Van Wilder. It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't think it is. What? But um, but anyways, but this guy he always plays like this those type of dominant mm-hmm. asshole kind of roles. And so uh, there's a scene where the heroes go into the police station and they're trying to get the chief to help them out because clowns are going around and putting people in cotton candy tubes and all this other stuff and. Out of nowhere, you see it's 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 really dark in the station, but then there's a, a single light on the, the chief's desk, and then he turns around, and it's one of the big clowns. He's turned him into a puppet, and he's just talking. I was like, and it, it's so creepy because then the clown just throws him down like it, it was nothing. He was just, and then the clown looks over, and he's got a bloody hand. He's just like, all right, I'm gonna play with you now, and he's just like, it's. It works on so many levels just because it's... And it's, aliens. It's so goofy and it's so... But it knows that it's goofy. So yeah, Killer Clowns is, is my number 10. All of them. All all of them just because it's like it's just a blanket. So um, My number 9 is Stripe from Gremlins. There you go. Cool. Yeah, this little shit, man. The... <laughs> well, he was the ringleader of all of the... The Mogwai spawn, and he's the one who managed to trick Gizmo into everything. He tortured Gizmo. He's the one who tricked, um, what was his name, Billy? Yeah. Into feeding them after midnight and everything else. Like he knew what was up, and uh, master manipulator. And then throughout the movie, he just he knew how to stay one step ahead and he caused all kinds of chaos and havoc and then he was very smart for incredibly intelligent yeah. um actually more intelligent than most horror movie villains because considering he's a little creature and uh really the end of the movie where they're running through the department store and he's <laughs> so fucking good. shit up but he's able to defend himself and he's on the fucking scooter and the whole thing where he's got the master plan he knows that all of his gremlin brethren were burnt down in that movie theater. But he makes it a point to be like, water. And he goes towards that fucking fountain. And just... I don't know how such a 
shitty little creature managed to keep so many balls juggled in the air and um and literally what he did to, to gizmo when he finally got his autonomy was was really really sad kicking him down the laundry chute and like yeah. pinning him up and throwing knives at him and he just he was awful terrible and gremlins is still if you if you haven't heard it we did do an episode on gremlins last year go back and listen to it in season one when you're done with this episode but gremlins is still one of those one of the few movies that actually gets a reaction out of me and it still scares me even though it scared me when i was a kid and i still like it blows my mind out of all the crap that you've seen it's like that's the movie that I don't know. Because, like, I watched the movie and I'm like, I'm laughing my ass off. This is great. Seeing seeing Stripe on a fucking skateboard with a chainsaw. Yep. (laughs) It's so Well, that's part of it, though. Part of it is it's kind of funny and kind of charming in a really rude kind of way. Yeah. But he really is one of my favorite horror villains, mostly because he's super entertaining, but also because he really is a sinister little shit. Yeah. And um, the scene where... At the end of the movie, where it's sun, it's sunrise, and Gizmo pulls the ripcord on the shade, and he melts. Ugh. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, so gross of um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like it's just a the, little bit. Yeah, yeah. So it's really good. And then he just like comes back as the skeleton, skeleton comes like, back. Oh, are you kidding me? And then it finishes melting. Yeah, yeah. It's, you it's have good. to have that one last scare. But yeah, Stripes definitely one of my. Even though the movie's still kind of. Makes me pee a little when I watch it because it scares me. But um, we were I, singing I still the really song like this morning. I know. <laughs> da, 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 da. And then know we couldn't even, get it out of our heads. I don't even remember why. I did get it out of my head. Now it's not anymore. <laughs> it's back in there. <laughs> All right. So we my number nine. I went with Doctor Giggles. Mm, that one was a fun one. Doctor Giggles would has to be one of my. New favorite horror movies to date. It's it's one of those movies that... You su- are what you eat. It, it surprised me so much. And all every kill had some type of doctor pun. And then the pun worked with the kill. And I was... I was nervous when, uh, when I found out that that's what they were going to do. Because... When stuff like that happens in horror movies, they could fall flat. Mm-hmm. And it, because they did it from, you know, start to finish, that and, and it still sold on all, all points. I was like, that, that especially, was really cool. Especially having had the movie come out during that horror movie, Dead Zone of the 90s, yep. where it was really difficult to get anything going. Yeah. And this one, it... As we're watching it, uh, again, go listen to our Dr. Giggles episode. It's it's a fun one. Mm-hmm. But uh, I noticed that there was a lot of similarities to uh, Michael Myers and Jason. They riffed and on they riffed on the slasher trope. But I, I think it was just it was just paying homage and and sure. and and kind of paying tribute to those characters. But in a sense, making this doctor his own. He yeah. he was going around town and taking bodies, trying to steal their hearts to uh, because like he had this like complex as a child because his mother was dying because of a heart condition, and his father was stealing hearts 
so he can he's continuing his father's yeah. work. Yeah, go back and listen to yeah, that it's, episode. It's great. We we do a real deep dive on the movie, which surprises both. Yeah, and sure. and that's where it's like, but Giggles is he's he's up there, and it's like I need. He's a, an entertaining villain for sure. It's great yeah. and it's fun to watch. So I need to I need to try and get the, the well. We're gonna be going all all digital here soon, but it's like I need to get a copy of it quick. Yeah. So, um, my number eight is the Jin from Wishmaster. Nice, good played, pull. Played by Andrew Divoff. Um, I really did. Wishmaster's a little cheesy as far as movies go, but this is a horror movie we're talking about, so cheese sort of comes with the territory. Uh, the look. Of the makeup and the special effects. This is, um, the movie was directed by Robert Kurtzman, who is one of the owners and makeup artists for K&B, um, with Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger. But he, the, they made the gin look so otherworldly, but still believable as a creature at the same time. And I love the idea that he's a bit of a shapeshifter. And I also really like the idea that he so tricksy with the wishes where you have to be so specific and so detailed with what you say because he's going to give you the worst possible version of what you want and he relished in torturing people and hurting people and um yeah this one was this one was really cool and he had these really neat tentacle things coming out of his neck and it almost looked like it was like hair like pigtails coming down over his shoulders but they moved yeah it was like a twitch to him and that was it was really creepy and really unnerving and the way that andrew divoff spoke was <laughs> very unsettling with a real deep vocal fry it was really really weird and the way he would look at you as like, you wish Right, and he's that it's super creepy but he's really cool to look at and i love the mischievous characters the ones that kind of are a little more in, a little more intelligent and manipulative than they are brute strength. Yeah, so like that, that, that was really that was the me. one thing about uh, about the gin that I like was it, it was it, I mean it kind of played on that premise of like the monkey's paw or whatever where mm -hmm. it's like like oh well, yeah you could wish for this but it's gonna be fucked. Yeah, um, it's not gonna be quite. There was like a there was an episode of the I think it was the X Files where. The X Files were Mulder wished for world peace. I can't remember what the I, th I think it was. I want to say it was the X Files, and I think it was like an episode with a, a genie or some sort of wish creature. If if anyone can remember exactly what I'm talking about, it sounds familiar. Feel free to email us yeah. at uh, creatureatreal.cm@gmail.com. <laughs> but a, it feels yeah. it, it feels like an, uh, an X Files episode where Mulder wished for world peace or something like that, and he stepped outside his front door, and there was nothing there. There was nobody there. Every a per, humans were gone, which has a whole different message about how fucked up humans are. But it's that idea of it's not necessarily what you think it's going to be. Um, and I really gravitate towards the very clever characters. Yeah. So I think that's really so cool. So that, that one, I, I definitely, uh, yeah. good pull, good pull. I like that one a lot. Uh, so what are we on? Eight. eight. So my number eight, I am going to do another group. Mm. We are going to go You with, like your factions, eh? I do like my factions. You know, four horsemen and, you know. Uh, so I went with the Deadites. From Evil Dead 2. Hmm. So, well, and I say the Deadites because 
it was the entity that was released from the Necronomicon. Yeah, because they was... were more like minions, though. They weren't really... But that's what I'm saying. But they all had the same similar look to them, and they all spoke the same, and it was... Yeah. So it's either the the entity of the Necronomicon or... But I'm just going to call them the Deadites. Like, that's just the... Just for lack of anything. Yeah, to call it. exactly. From, but it's from Evil Dead 2. I absolutely love... Evil Dead 1 and uh, Army of Darkness, but Evil Dead 2 holds up so well in my mind. Uh, I think you could just call it the spirit, the evil spirit in that movie, because there's the Deadites were more minion-y. Yeah. Uh, but well, that, but that was the thing was like, so when you had, uh, you know, the, the witch in the cellar, uh, she was f- just fucking awesome. Who and, was in my fruit cellar? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, and then having Ashley go, holy shit, is the right reaction. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, uh... And, Mom? And, <laughs> yeah. So, but then, uh, I mean, all the characters that ended up going in, into contact with the spirit, uh, they all turned up and just, like, their faces got super creepy. Uh, there was another one, was like, um... It was a Linda Ash's girlfriend, I believe is what her name is. Um, she ends up headless and then rises up, and she's doing you know, chasing the, with a chainsaw. Well, yeah, doing the chasing with the chainsaw, but then she's doing the ballet out in the, the front, you know, without a head, and it's like it's so so damn good. But then uh, my favorite is when the spirit takes over all of the objects in the in the the cabin, and they all start laughing and Ash starts laughing with them because he's just losing his mind and like the, the deer head. That's like my all time favorite. Just that laughing deer head. It's just, it yeah, we did, an, we did a deep dive on the evil dead to a year ago. So if you get a chance, go back and listen to that episode. It's pretty fun. So yeah. So the spirit or the deadite spirit, if you want to call it, but, um, but yeah, that, that's my number eight. Nice. My number seven is Eric Dessler slash the phantom. From the Phantom of the Opera, nineteen eighty nine, Robert England's character. Nice. And I, I was actually driving when I was thinking about this this mor- uh, to make my list this morning. And it's a movie I haven't seen in several years, but I like it very much. And when you were telling me to think about some of my favorite horror movie villains, this one sprang to mind. It sprang to mind pretty quickly. Um, I don't know why necessarily because most people are like freddy jason leatherface meh and i'm going for like the late 80s deep cut but he played such a sad sympathetic character but you really he wouldn't allow you to feel that much sympathy or empathy for him because he literally was going around and killing people in the name of christine Um, he went around and he would go so far, he was so obsessed with her, he went so far as to hire a prostitute and pay her to pretend she was Christine for a night. Um, he tried to kill her fiancé, like there was a whole... (sighs) He just haunted her and was a little lecherous about it because it's really the... That's what Robert England does. It's like he's a charming lech and he he's equal parts endearing and creepy and you're not, not really sure how to feel about it in your brain yeah I, but, I definitely feel like the 
the all that the Phantom remake with Robert England kind of gets kind of gets passed up. Um, it gets forgotten a lot yeah. about because there's the the several different versions that came out really early in the 20th century, especially the Lon Chaney version is being probably the notably the most famous and then in 2004 there was the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical finally brought to the to screen with um Gerard Butler playing the Phantom. Still really weird casting in my head. I'm still <laughs> every time someone's like Gerard Butler and the fan of the opera, I was like, Meh. brain's like no compute. Um, but yeah, this one, this is a movie that tends to fly under the radar quite a lot, and um, I think we still have it on disc. I, I'm definitely gonna have to bust it out and do a rewatch. But I really liked him as a villain because you never were really a hundred percent sure how you were supposed to feel about him. It's like you want to feel bad, but then you realize how shitty he is. <laughs> it's like, where am I here? It's a yeah. super confusing position position to be put in, but he's so well played. I really liked how England played him, and it was such a departure. It was a bit of a departure from the fact that he'd been playing at that point. He'd been playing Freddy Krueger for five years, mm. so yeah. And that's something too that I think I can't tell if it hurts. Or helps for characters like that where it's Robert England. He is forever mm-hmm. now Freddy. It'll be on his epitaph when he dies. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be on his tombstone. They're gonna That's literally what an epitaph is, Craig. Oh, my, I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally Sorry. what I mean, yes. Anyways, um, but that's what I'm saying. It's like it's, it's forever associated with his name and... I mean, it's just like what we were talking about with the Wes Craven uh, deal where it's like, okay, well, now Wes Craven is always going to be linked to Nightmare on Elm Street, but almost everything else that he's done kind of gets swept under the rug because that thing trumps almost everything. It's the notoriety that goes along with it. And it's hard. And again, this is – the movie came out in 89, and he's still – and this is still peak Nightmare on Elm Street time, I think. Nightmare 5 had come out the same year. And it's very difficult to separate Robert England in this movie from the Freddy Krueger character because it's still sort of this twisted love story idea. Um, But it's a lot more well done. And it's not quippy and it's not, there's no silliness, at least not on purpose anyway, in this movie. And he doesn't. And he plays it pretty straight. He's not yeah. playing it like Freddy, where he can ham it up. So it's very, very different. And um, but yeah, the he he plays the Phantom and um, Eric Dessler role. But he also, in the modern day era, plays um, the reincarnated version of him, who is Christine's vocal teacher. And the ending is pretty pretty twisted. Once you get to it. So it's a nice little twisty surprise. Oh, yeah. What's your number seven? I like that one. Uh, so mine, I'm going to go the complete opposite direction. I'm going with Otis from The House of Thousand Corpses. Ooh, good one. Yeah. So we got... Uh, Otis likes his work. Oh, my God. I still remember the first time that I went to the theater with my buddies uh, to see this Rob Zombie joint. Uh, I don't ever remember watching too many trailers. I just I'm a I just really like Rob Zombie, and so the fact that I was like, oh my god, he's directing something. Let's go see it. And 
I remember tripping out, uh, you know, through the movie. But the one thing that I always gravitated, you know, towards was Otis and just his pr- his presence yep. just engulfed any time he was on screen. And me being a, a good old Southern boy, I absolutely love that they kind of took, they kind of went that uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of vibe they definitely with riffed, the family. They riffed on it real yeah. hard, yeah. Uh, you know, just having them go in and just, but Otis, the way that he presented himself where he's just that, you know, that kind of, just that good old boy from, from the sticks and but his mind was so enlightened and he had this way of talking as like a high end college boy. Well and- he, he definitely was like he definitely was like, I'm smarter than you. And to a degree, he really was a lot smarter than the people he caught. And these were supposed to be educated college kids or something, and he definitely he stayed one step ahead of him the whole time and he really enjoyed what he did. Yeah. Well, and like there was uh, a few of the scenes uh that were really cool was um when he does the fish boy reveal. Like that's super dark because he's got uh I forget her name. Um she's tied up in the chair and she wakes up and she's his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. But it was, uh, it was well, fish boy's girlfriend. Yeah. So she she comes in and she starts screaming and he's like, he's like, why don't you shut your mouth? And then she's like, or, uh, or he's, he's like, oh, I'm going to remove this gag. But if you, you know, so make a fucking peep, I'm going to gut you like a fish. Do you fucking understand me? And then he does, he has the, the full line or she's like, why are you doing this? He's like, oh, what did I do? Messy up your day. It's like, oh, you just be, you know, serving ice cream to all your Mickey Mouse, you know, shit healing friends. And it's just like on a Saturday night. It's like, it's just that mentality of that's the way he sees everyone. But this, like, he's like, no, I'm trying to create something. This blood is forever. And it's just, he's got this. He's warped. Oh my God. So, and then he, and then she's like, she's like, what did you do with him? Like, where is he? He's like, oh man, he's a really good guy. I was in, you know, just, just this tone block, tone block. It's like, but he helped me through it. He's like, you want to see my work? And then she, he pulls the curtain and he's like, fish boy! And, he, it is, and it's her boyfriend dismembered and cut up. And it's just, Side it's so good. for sure. And then like one of the other, my favorite lines from him is, it's actually a, a, a cut scene. Or it's almost like a transitional scene where it's almost looks like a home movie. And he's like, he's like, oh, hunting humans? Ain't nothing but nothing. They'd run a bunch of like scared little rabbits. Run, rabbit, run. Run, rabbit, run. And it's just like him screaming at the, you know, Bill Mosley just screaming at the, the camera. I was like, okay, I think it should be running now. It's, it's great. But it's just, and then on top of that, so not only was Otis just this intellectual backwoods kind of just hick, but he was also on this other level where he's doing spiritual rituals and all this other stuff. And I think that, uh, the costume that at the end, so he also cuts off, uh, the girl's father's skin and makes his own costume out of it. You know, with the mask and that's on a whole nother, like crazy fucked up level. It's a chainsaw. 
Yeah, but I think the the costume at the end where he's in the the skull makeup and everything, I think that's actually like a ritual for Doctor Satan, and mm, yeah. So I was like, that's he's on a whole nother plane. So it's like, like he's oh, he's great. equal parts. He's equal parts hillbilly, evil genius, and priest. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> All, All right. right, so my Move number. Moving on to number six. Mine is the Armitage family from Get Out. Oh, good. I really like that's a good pull. I really liked this family as far as villainy goes because they're so bland and so innocuous and so boring. As to not be suspected yeah. of anything, and, and I think that's the that's a good key to that. Yeah, or some yeah, and the fact that they their daughter is she has volunteered as the bait to be bringing these black people into the family in order to body swap. These older white people into these younger black bodies, and uh, Catherine Keener's character, the mom, she is an amazing hypnotist because she's she's actually a shrink. She's a psychologist, but she'll sit there and she's really another innocuous way of just putting you under her spell. She's just stirring her tea and talking to you. She's not saying anything. She's got a very soothing voice. And she's not saying anything terribly important. And then she's next so thing you know, good. boom, out. Which is really weird because Catherine Keener, I usually see her in comedies. Yep. So to see her in a more serious role is very different. It, like, I loved her in this role just because it's like, out of, out of all the characters, like, she stood up as the most sinister out of them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's I think it's also because she was the least... She was the least threatening of the th- of of all of them. The the only time where it became a moment of sh- this shit is not good and she's she's not good is the moment bef- it was just before he goes under mm-hmm. and he gets gets put in, into his mental hole. Like she's just staring at him and she's asking him the question, but then she does this head tilt. Yeah, the Michael Myers. And she's just thing. and she's just waiting. And she just pauses and it's just this whole like you ready? And like cuz she asks him the question, but her reaction in her eyes doesn't reflect that. And it's it's you know, yeah. putting out a, a whole another message and it's And she's holding him so good. and she's she's holding the main character completely spellbound in the chair like to the point where he's crying and he can't move. Yeah. Because he's so Pushed, she basically is pushing their conscious back to make room for whomever is going to be taking up brain space. And just the whole idea of it is so sinister and so dirty. Uh, It, it's really uncomfortable. Jordan Peele, when he was making the movie, he was playing a lot with, with the ideas of, of race and those sorts of things. Um, which, is probably the least com- the least uncomfortable part of the whole movie. Um, it's really the the body jump thing and not having control and somebody has forced you away. And it's this family that sort of heads this little community. 
don't even want to call it a town. It's like a neighborhood that does this. And it's just so weird um, what they do. But it's the fact that they don't appear to pose any real threat that makes them so dangerous. Um, and mm. Allison Williams getting run over by a car at the end of the movie was so Oh, satisfying. my God. Oh, the, the, the best part of that of the movie was the, uh, the best friend. Because he, he was playing, it was like, he's like, the fuck are you talking about? It's just like, it didn't have that typical horror movie mm-hmm. thing that uh, like a, a best friend would have. He like came out and he was like one of the audience members and he was just like. He was, he was like, the. What the fuck are you talking about? He was definitely the audience avatar. And I think that was mainly his role. Obviously, the the biggest part of his role was to help get his friend out of there. And I, I feel like I suck because I don't. I'm having a hard time recalling the names. And yeah, we I, we have we haven't. I don't seen the movie want to. Yet. I haven't seen it in about. It's, I haven't seen it in over a year. So like the, yeah. the everybody's names are fuzzy. But if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I just think it's really funny. But the best friend's main role is to be kind of like the white knight version of a sidekick, where he comes in to help get his buddy out. But just Allison Williams, um, that's the actress's name, and I can remember that because I've seen her in other things. But like her getting hit by that car at the end was so satisfying because she was just so down and dirty evil where she's like I sleep with black dudes to trick them and then I bring them home to mom and she finishes the job and they never leave which is gross yeah it's it's pretty good but that so that's a really good one I like that uh my number six I'm gonna go with a staple it's Freddy. Yeah. Freddy is a uh, is definitely on this list. Uh, out of all of the classic slashers, he has to be pr- probably my favorite. I don't uh, think we're gonna have any overlap on this list. I'm I'm glad that that's good. Yeah. Usually we you were worried that we were, uh, okay. but no. But Freddy is definitely on my list just because I absolutely love the the psychological aspect that Wes Craven brought to it. Um, just that, I mean, compared to Michael Myers and Jason, I mean, Jason has a little bit more because of the, the supernatural aspect that they brought to him in later years, but But he's just a zombie that, yeah. But with Freddie, there was more of a story in each movie. They tried to add on to that, that lore uh, which is great, and that's something that you always want your your character re- to evolve and stuff like that. Um, but Freddy itself, as the you know, going into your dreams, not it's like if you go to sleep, you're done. And that's like, the scary. And yeah. that's that's the scariest part about Freddy Krueger is the fact that you have to sleep. Yeah. The body demands sleep. You have no choice. Even if you don't want to sleep, the body will flip the off switch and you will go to sleep. And that's it. And that's what makes Freddy so dangerous. And th- that and the fact that it's, he loves the cat and mouse game of it all. Mm-hmm. He really enjoys fucking with you. He doesn't feel the need to rush the kill part. It's it's the fact that he's such a sadist that he yeah. gets off on torturing his villains first. And, or and his I love that. Um, it, it also, that reminds me a lot of uh, the Joker and in some, some cases with the Joker where he wants to just torture his victims for his own amusement. 
but he there like there's a scene in the dark knight where he's just like oh you know guns are too quick uh mm-hmm. you know knives are more intimate you can find out more people you know about more people because all that stuff and that's kind of how i felt freddie was but it was all it was because he could go into their dreams and control them and just terrify them and, and just really amp it up but also too just the the backstory alone for freddie is better than anything michael myers or jason could bring to the table i mean my, jason had mama Voorhees, and that was interesting but then after that it's like yep walking corpse that's just gonna go mow down you yeah. know kids but with freddie it's like oh no he had a backstory he child murderer rapist and then parents went in vigilante style t- burnt his ass up to you know a, a crisp threw some barbecue sauce on him and then called it a day and then he came back to get him that's fucking great plus like, there's so he it's there's so much like biblical subtext in there yep it's it there's a lot to unpack and that was actually our very first episode that we did for season one so if you want to go back and give that a listen if you haven't um Forgive us if it's a little awkward because that was really us trying to find our feet. We but, didn't know anything yet. We're still babies. But we, we we figured it out, obviously. We figured it out since then. But yeah, we unpacked the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And we did an episode on Nightmare 2 um, for season 1 as well. So yeah. that would be worth giving it a listen to. But yeah, so Freddy's definitely up there for, for my tops. And I mean, I do like Jason and stuff like that. But he is, he's my all-time classic slasher. Alright, um, my number 5 is um from a kids movie oh okay it's the grand high witch from the witches oh yeah damn uh and this movie oh i'm hating myself how did i forget about that shit uh this movie has stuck with me uh for a long time i think the first time i saw it i was maybe let's see i think i was, was maybe seven when it yeah, I was about seven. Yeah. It's been a long time. Um, I was probably six or seven, I think, the first time I saw it. And uh, she's just... And this is her coming off after doing the first Adams Family movie, yeah. I think. This is between the, fir- the first and second Adams. But, you know, I knew her as Morticia. So I go into The Witches and... First of all, the movie itself is fucking terrifying. There's little kids getting turned into mice. There's an entire, like... Hilton Ballroom being overtaken by this witchy convention thing. And just the scene where she unmasks herself and we get to see what she really looks like with that big just hook like nose. Looking. Yeah, it's so gross and it's so disturbing. But her disdain for children and how much she hates them really turns the evil up on this character and the way she treats kids and she just doesn't care what was the what was the um the the fat kid she promised me chocolate and i've come to collect yes it's like like, you want chocolate let's give him chocolate yeah come here sweetie and And, and that whole scene she's putting this poor little chubby kid on display 
to show them what they can do because she has a new product coming out, which yeah. is a little tiny potion vial that will turn children into mice. <laughs> she she had her own like little apple apple display. It's like here's the new Apple iPhone 11 for turning kids into fun. Yeah. But like that was the thing was like that scene creeped me out more. She was getting this fat kid up to give him chalk, you know, to give him the the treat to turn him into a mice. But you can see all the witches that were just foaming at the mouth. They're like, ooh, ooh, let's go. Right. Oh, let's and, see it. But the Grand High Witch was a little bit like a cult leader. Because she was that, she, she, you know, she was that singular charismatic figure at the, at the head of this whole thing. But she, she was even nasty to the witches in her, I guess, coven? We can call it a coven. Yeah. Uh, but she was na- even nasty to her second and she, she kicked, you know, she kicked her around and treated her like garbage. And she just walked around like her shit didn't stink. And it was yeah. this very elite, um, snobby sort of woman, you know. And if you just looked at her, you would think she just married rich or something. But she's so nasty and she's so hard to look at. And she's just the disdain for kids and how she is. Just like, I'm just, I don't want them around. I want to turn every kid on this planet into something else, and I don't want them anymore. So we just watched um, Hocus Pocus with our kids uh, pretty recently, uh, and I had this moment, and I was thinking back to the, the kid witch movies, and this one popped in my brain as we were watching it, and um, I had this moment of, what would it have been like if they took Hocus Pocus and gave them the high witches? look for you know for certain portions of it where uh when they were doing all the like the witchy stuff and they looked like witches Mm -hmm. and then when they went into town and stuff like that they looked like you know they normally did uh i thought that would have been really cool if they were able to bring out that witchy nastiness uh but it's like witches that that one is so damn good it really is is good so good angelica angelica houston's a beautiful woman and to have her be able to transform like that into such a gnarly looking creature and she wasn't afraid to go ugly she embraced it it was it was really an impressive performance but it was just the character of the grand high witch and how she make a spectacle out of children it just it's it gives you it makes the blood run cold and it gives you goose pimples and it's just so icky she makes you feel really icky yeah it's really good all right so we are up to what my number five i went with the wolf from american werewolf in london david but david wasn't a villain the wolf was the wolf was a villain the wolf the wolf was an animal but the wolf murdered people, like he, because he's it was an a, animal. But he was a monster. Like that was the that was the thing. Was like it went around and it murdered people, and it became a thing. So I mean, yeah, David himself wasn't a villain because he was just a, a troubled soul or whatever. But when he turned into the wolf, it became a murderous, monstrous beast that just I'm just out to kill, and that was something that was yeah. It's you know it's. In that vein of, oh, they're just an animal and it's just whatever. But it's still it's still a thing of when you're following it around, like whenever the wolf is on screen, he's out to kill. 
And that's where, I mean, you could uh, say it for the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. They're monsters. In the movie, they are monsters because they are out chasing... Yeah, but the real villain in that movie was... um, Oh, crap. I just had a brain fart. But the real villain in the movie was the guy who built the park. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's... In a weird way, yes, it was. But he, he didn't understand what he was doing he just it was like i have the money i can do this and we're just gonna do it and you know yeah i mean and you can have the the wolf be your be on your list that's fine i just i have to disagree because i think personally i find villainy to have intent behind it like to have a villain like they have to purposefully be going out and doing the things that we see on screen like it is there's an they're intentional about it. Well, that's the thing is the wolf is. And I'm going to uh, say this is like, so the train station kill, the wolf is in the, in the tunnel. You hear the hat, like the, you hear the howl and you hear the growl. The guy turns around and he's like, Oh, this, I don't find this amusing at all. And then he, he runs away and the wolf follows him up the, the tube and up the escalator and then kills him. Like he hunts this man down. And then murders him. There's the, also the the couple that goes out to investigate the the noise out in their backyard before their dinner party, and the wolf is out there, and he goes out and attacks them and kills them. No different than what Jason Voorhees would do. I mean, it's it's that kind of that it's because he's just going out and just murdering things. Like that's just his mentality. Uh, as the wolf. Uh, same thing with the uh, in the the porno theater. So he goes and just tears up the people that are in the theater. But then when he goes to break out, the first thing he does is he bites the head off of the the head inspector. And it's it's not like oh he's just lashing out and just acting. It's like no he's out to murder things. And that's just that's the mentality of of it being a villain. Maybe it's it's an animalistic turn to it, but it's still a threat, and it's still uh, a thing that's causing all of the good guys to try and save themselves. And fair enough, yeah. So David is is definitely on on that point, and I mean, I absolutely it's one of my all time favorite movies, and The Wolf is one of my all time favorite wolves in history just because of the way that it just looks like, uh, and also to the transformation into the look with, you know, uh, just Rick Baker and just everything that he did was like still to this day just holds up for me. But just the, the look of that wolf, when you see it on screen, it, it still gives me chills just because it just looks so gnarly. And, um, my best friend Brock He's got a um, like a coffee table book of horror like it's one of those like thousand greatest horror movies that you need to see or something like that. And on the cover is that fucking wolf's face, and it's this giant book. And it, every time I look at it, I'm like, I have to flip it over because it's just like it freaks me out. The eyes are following you around it, the room. It, it it's so damn good. One of my all-time favorite uh, Halloween Horror Night moments is when they did the American Werewolf in London house because you walk in and the first thing is you're walking up in this little area and it's uh, the moors and there's this little hole and the wolf 
pops out and it's tearing up and they're doing the whole uh, Jack getting ripped up. He's like, oh my God, he's freaking out. Lightning's going nuts and it, like, it freaks you out. But they have so many moments where the wolf would pop out and they did the same kind of, um, uh, I guess, the, like the costuming that they did in the, the movie where it was the wolf and then they had it on like a little cart. And so, but they had it popping out by your ankles and, and it looked exactly like the movie style wolf. And that thing, oh my God, it, it freaked me out, but I was in love just walking through there and in the house there was a TARDIS. So <laughs> there's a, there's a Doctor Who reference. So I was like, that, that was, that was fun. I mean, at the time the police box was still a thing in London, but yeah. Uh, yeah. all right. Moving on to number four. Mine's a twofer. Oh, Okay. Uh, John Kramer and Amanda, Tobin Bell and Shawnee Smith from Saw. Oh, okay. The reason why I didn't just do John Kramer is because um, they really did work in tandem together, especially. And and this is throughout the franchise because we would see Amanda pop up occasionally in other movies. Um, But she had to do a lot of his heavy lifting because he was sick. So, yeah, it it was the jigsaw. Um, character, so right because putting them both together, they're basically yeah. the, the jigsaw. You know, in the beginning he had Zep, and then he ended up with a man at the end. But one would, I personally would argue that they are not necessarily well. John's not necessarily villain villain because he thought he well. No, I guess you could say that most villains think that they're on the side of right. Yeah. They're doing something good, but Thanos. <laughs> yeah, I think I most... need to wipe out life half just half of it. Yep. Reset everything. <laughs> well, the whole with John with Kramer being the the brains and Amanda essentially being the brawn after Zep got taken out in the first movie, the the elaborate traps and the scheming to he only went after people who he thought didn't care about life anyway. Yeah, they just didn't didn't value anything. They didn't. Um, and I think it's because he had such a hard time getting the cancer diagnosis. And, you know, if you've seen Saw, especially Saw, the first three, is where you get the bulk of John Kramer's story. But essentially he's just like, I don't get it. I don't have a choice. I got a you're gonna die diagnosis. And he sees all these people wasting potential. And it it makes him bitter and it pisses him off. And this is, he's like, well, if they can't appreciate life on their own, I will teach you. Now, one of the weird things that happened with him as we saw throughout the series was that he, every time somebody successfully made it out of a trap, they became one of his disciples. So he was growing the small cults of people under the jigsaw banner to go and continue his work to make sure that what he was doing, because he thought what he was doing was, was right and righteous to make sure this continued on. He had to build a little stable of people who were willing to do that. Amanda was almost worse because her traps that she personally designed, you weren't getting out of her goal was to make sure that you were going to die. Uh, I forget which one it was. I think it was saw six. Uh, Chester Bennington was in that one and he was glued to the car seat, the the driver's seat in the car, the the leather. And he, 
that adhesive wasn't coming off and I think there was a bomb in the car or something. I don't remember. It's been several years since I've seen it, but it was an unbeatable game. You couldn't win it. Like he had to literally peel the skin off of his back in order to get out of that car. She was guaranteeing he was going to blow up. Yeah. And, and, and that was, and John even mentions to her, I guess in one of the scenes where he's like, no, they have to, you have to give them a chance. Yeah. It's like, teach him a lesson. She wants to be judge, jury, and executioner. John's yeah. MO, and I think that's what makes him so dangerous, is his MO is he preys on the human's ability to panic and lose all cognitive function. It's, it's a fight or flight. And... Right. But once the adrenaline kicks in and you go into flight mode... You don't have the cognition to be able to solve these problems. Like, you have to be calm. If you're in a panic, you're not thinking straight. You're not going to make the right choices. You're you're going to probably end up causing yourself more problems than you're going to fix. Yeah. So he, I think he kind of relies on that, but it's also set up to where it's like he he also was hopeful that they can get their faculties about them and actually get out because that's what that's what he wants good bad or otherwise he wants these people to get out and he wants them to understand how close to death we all are and i think that's what makes him such a good villain is because you unexpectedly as you're watching him on screen you find yourself starting to side with him a little bit which as somebody in the audience who's watching it once you realize that it's really unnerving because it just makes you start to question your own psyche and what your principles are and those sorts of things like where's your brain at and um i think that's why john is such a clever villain and he's so intelligent and he's it's a little um it's a little the way that the movies are all written. It's a little Stephen Moffaty where shit gets a little timey wimey. Yeah, it starts to get like, but there's so many dots being connected throughout the series, um, all the way up to Jigsaw that harkens back to before the first movie. So there's a lot going on, and um, John Kramer being at the heart of it. And plus, to top it off, he's another one. And I've noticed a trend now that I'm thinking about it is like I always I find that the best villains are the ones that you're not the ones that could walk by you on the street and you're not going to think twice about yeah because those are the most real those are the most real ones um the ones that you see every day like people who knew john wayne gacy personally were like he was such a stand-up dude i don't know what happened and they found like a bunch of teenage boys buried in his basement so yeah it's always the ones you don't suspect i think make the best villains and then amanda who's fairly slight She's a little neurotic, but otherwise, it's like, okay, she's a recovering drug addict. She seems to have a few things going on. She always looks like well, she's a little tweaky, and, and she's... It, was, it wasn't in, or in the first one, they set it up to where it... Because they showed her in the reverse bear trap. Yeah. They showed her everything that, that she went through because she was giving her testimony. Um, and then in the second one, she shows back up, and she doesn't understand why she was there in the first place um i mean come to find out at the end of the movie she, she planted herself there yeah um but she also to... put herself in in a trap and but it sets you up as the audience member because you're not ready for that you're not ready for that twist you're like oh shit it's like you're in that that same boat that the detectives were in where it's like oh okay it's like she went through this traumatic thing there's no way that yeah. 
like we would ever think that she would be in this this position. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like uh, in Scream with with Billy and um, and Stu, and Stu, where they were just like, oh well, we're gonna stab ourselves and just say that the killer came in and got us, but we you know we all we both survived. Same kind of premise where it's just. They went through a very horrible thing, and then, yeah. you know. I mean, no one likes the idea of getting chucked into a pit of needles, but it happens. Holy shit, that thing was... Uh... I saw that. I saw it in theaters, and I didn't, saw two. I saw it in theaters, um, <laughs> and the I, my stomach turned. I don't like needles on a good day. Yeah. I'm really not a fan. So the thought of falling or being thrown into a pit full of them was really uncomfortable for me. Um, but yeah, John and Amanda, Amanda and John, I think you can't really have one without the other. Especially early on in the Saw franchise. So, uh, yeah, top villains for you for sure. Nice, nice. Nice. All right. Well, what are we at? Number four? Number four. So, this one I think is going to be kind of surprising for me. You mean Uh, for me? For me. And you. For for everybody. For the entire world. So, the biggest surprise... My number four is Bruce the Shark from Jaws. I am shocked. <laughs> I am. He is my number four, not my number one. He is my number four. I am. That's what I'm shocked about. Is yep. why he's he's so low on the list. It's still in my top five, but my number four is Bruce. So the shark in Jaws. Uh, he was named. You know, uh, he was uh, nicknamed Bruce. During the filming, because that was Steven Spielberg's lawyer's name, and so it it stuck. Uh, I guess uh, Robert Shaw didn't like, uh, or no, it was Scheider. Yeah, Roy didn't like didn't like calling him Bruce, and so he never never called it. But everyone else did. So, uh, but yeah, but Bruce the Shark was is Brucey is my uh, my number four just because Jaws is my all time favorite movie. However, the shark, it's one of those things where it's like you don't see it up until like maybe like little chunks, like real quick, Mm -hmm. but uh, you don't see it too often. It's just the, it's the image or the knowledge that there's something swimming around Amity. So, but, and that third act when the shark makes its presence known, it's in a weird way, a very like smart fish it's yeah it's a very powerful fish and it's massive uh it's you know like 25 foot or whatever um so i mean mean, sharks are fairly intelligent as far as creatures go however they're not going to have the mental capacity to actually hunt and give chase to three men on a boat and they don't carry grudges or vendettas against people. Yeah. They, they're just, it's like, oh, I'm going to eat you. Oh, I can't eat you. I'm going to go now. Yeah. So, but that was the thing was the the kills that this shark would implement. And, like, the opening scene is one of the most gut-wrenching and just horrific images. Because you don't see anything but a girl being thrashed around. Mm-hmm on top of the water and she's screaming, you know, God help me, God help me. Uh, and then she just gets taken under. It's so damn good. But again, it's just, it's your mind 
knowing that it's a, a shark. Uh, like, even in that opening scene, you don't see a fin. There's nothing. It's just so I her. Think, I think the real villain in Jaws is your imagination. No. More than the shark. But, that, but that's the thing is, like, you never see the shark because, I mean, it's just they're under the water. So it's just they're underneath your view line. But, like, when, you, when you're in the water. But that's the thing is the once you got into the third act and the shark made its presence a fit, like fully known it is one of the most terrifying things and like one of my favorite shots is having uh, Chief Brody he's climbing the, the mast and he's got the, the spear and his uh, rifle and he's trying to get away and you can see the shark just biting at him and it's just coming up out of the water it is so damn good uh, and then all the stuff with the the shark uh, when they put um, Hooper in the shark cage and they're going down and the way that they filmed it with the the mini cage and then you know shot with all the uh, you know shots from Australia and stuff like that like they did a really it, clever way of actually making it look like a realistic shark uh, to best they could again best they could back in the seventies but. Uh, but yeah, Bruce the Shark is my number four. So, but again, absolutely love the goddamn thing. But yeah, number four. Um, my okay, so number three, number three, number three is a package deal. It's the Man in the Mask, Dollface, and the Pinup Girl from The Strangers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, what makes these villains so good is that. These are just three bored people on a random evening walking through a neighborhood because they feel like killing somebody, banging on people's doors, and not to spoil the twist for those of you who haven't seen a movie that's 12 years old, but they just happen to bang on uh, Liv Tyler's door. She answered. She was home. And they, the girls especially, would go around kind of causing diversions and distractions, and they did a lot of the... Unnerving, and tearing, and, and kind of tearing away at uh, psychologically at um, the characters, and the, there was just two in the film. It was Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler, and then um, the man in the mask would come, and he was a lot more physical, and they're sadists, just straight up sadists. They just were looking for someone to torture, they were looking for something to do, and that <laughs> the randomness of them I think is what makes them such those such good villains and the fact that the girls chose the most like cutesy masks they could find it's sick the three of them are sick and twisted and that movie scared the fuck out of me um it's no secret I've made no secret about how I feel about home invasion movies and how they make me feel and those are really home invasion movies are really the only horror movies that actually make me freak out like they're the ones where i am sleeping with the lights on that night kind of thing yeah it, um, it kind of reminded me of how um like um like the purge how they kind of pull played that up a little bit with like the the masks it's and the it's like the that. masked yeah. it's the masked mis- mischief maker thing um but it the strangers is nothing like the purge no 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 not not the simulator i'm not talking about just the masks yeah. in, in general yeah the purge and, and strangers are completely different but it was just the it's the mask killer thing yeah and you know hiding behind 
it, it's the anonymity of hiding behind a different face. And um, but yeah, they they freak me the hell out. And a lot of it, and the fact that these are just three people who were doing it because they had nothing better to do, is so sick and so twisted. And that's what makes them such good villains on screen. Yeah. Good shit. That's the good. That's good. That's shit. good shit. There, little Vince McMahon. All right, so my number three, I went with Mary Shaw from Dead Silence. I thought about putting her on my list, but I wasn't 100% sure about doing it. So I I was kind of going back and forth with Mary Shaw or Pazuzu from The Exorcist, uh, or Reagan Pazuzu, whatever you want to call her. So... The thing that I absolutely love about Mary Shaw is the fact that when she gets on screen, she gives me that... She gives you the heebie-jeebs real bad. Really, really bad, where it sticks with me, where if I close my eyes, I can imagine her... It's like, if I open my eyes, she's going to be right in front of my face, and I trip myself out all the time like with shit like that. Um, I do it with, with Reagan as well. Like, there's times where it's like, oh, I'm going to flip the light on in the bathroom and, oh, she's going to stand right in front of me. Don't you ever fucking scare me like that. I swear to God. Remember that one time late at night where you were just drifting off? This was years ago. I think we were still dating. You were just drifting off to sleep, and I, like, lovingly rolled over, spooned you, and then did the the Reagan voice in your ear. Yeah, no. I was... And you about peed yourself. You got so, like, freaked out. Yeah, it was not not a good time. So I mean, the Exorcist, uh, I just, I think the Exorcist I definitely definitely sticks with me for sure. But Dead Silence happened to be one of those movies that really became a, a favorite of mine. One because I absolutely love the ventriloquist dolls, like just the dolls themselves. But then the actual person doing, you know, so creepy. I. Love it. I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for magicians, ventriloquists. I love all that, that nerdy shit. Um, but the fact that they focused on the ventriloquist dummy really uh, played up for me. And it took me back to like reading my old Goosebumps books with, you know, Night of the Living Dummy and stuff like yeah. that. And that, again, holds up. Uh, or, you know, same thing with uh, Child's Play and, you know, the dolls and stuff like that. But uh, also, the dolls thing, are creepy in general, and that's the thing is, yeah. I I I find dolls creepy, but I can stand them. They're not. I can walk into a room of dolls and be like, "All right, I'm good." Um, but that was the thing was with the Mary Shaw character. I love that they played on the the local folklore, and they kind of played into that uh, that old town story. That just latched on, and it was just the 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 haunted house type story of you know, um, but there was like it was uh, beware the curse of Mary Shaw. She had no children, only dolls or something like that. And yeah, um, and um, I, I forget the rest of the, the tune now. It's gonna bug the shit at me. Uh, but but anyways, but the fact that they made it a, a point to pull up this this old legend. And she's like, make it, it's like, oh, well, she's going to get you. She's going to get you if you go after her. Um, it really played into the fact that 
uh, or like it, it add into that that intensity of the story. Mm-hmm. But then having at the beginning of the story, Billy, uh, the little doll, shows up at uh, or what's the um, it's um, Ryan uh, Quan's Ryan Quantin's house. Quantin's house. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, he plays the character Jamie, and his wife opens up the the box and you know sets up the doll and they they really do the thing where the doll turns its head real slowly and just like just starts eyeballing her but then what makes her so creepy is she works so much through the doll but it was the end of the movie where we find out that she turned jamie's dad into a flesh puppet yeah. Basically. So the, the his stepmom... Had, his, his dad had had a stroke. Yeah, his quotes. stepmom wasn't actually the stepmom. It was Mary Shaw playing this woman. Yep. And then, yeah, she... And and throughout this, uh, the movie, um, Jamie is kind of finding... Like, he's doing his own little detective work. But he's finding these... He goes into this room of Mary Shaw's and he finds this notebook of hers and her designs for a puppet and it's it's creepy because you're like okay this is great and it's it's i mean it's real quick that you see the the notes but then later on it turns out it's like oh no those were her notes to take you know to turn a human body yep into a a life-size puppet and it turned out that it was her father and she was you know just controlling him. He was in a wheelchair. He was sick, and then it, it it worked out that she was controlling, and then she latched on. But it was just the if you screamed, she was going to steal your tongue, and and then you know kill you and steal your soul. And uh, Jamie's girl uh, wife, I think it was his wife at the beginning. Uh, she screams, and then they they do the big the awesome cutaway. Um, Upshot where you know she's got her jaw ripped open and her tongue's ripped out. And, you know what makes Mary Shaw oh, so good. particularly villainous is the fact that Jamie's wife was pregnant. Yep. So she killed a pregnant woman. Oh yeah, that's, so, that's pretty awful. But another uh, Halloween Horror Night, uh, awesome. That the, was a good house. I the, remember that the house. Dead Silence House was really good just because of the Mary Shaw. The way they had her floating was really cool. Like they had um, everyone on like it almost looked like roller skates, but yeah, it was kind of neat. Yeah, but yeah, so Mary Shaw, the fucking face, God, I love it. It's it's so so damn creepy. I love the eyes. Oh, super fun, so good. All right, so number two, mine are. I keep wanting to like put mine in packs because the villains that I like seem to be running in more than in multiples. Hey, I did it. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'll, I'll allow you uh, to have a uh, have your little factions. All right, so my number two is. R is or R, it's a grammar here. R, the cast of Ets from Rosemary's Baby. Uh, so what kills me is you have Grandma and Grandpa essentially, and they're so helpful, and they want so much to help take care of Rosemary and take care of her baby and her husband, and they're just very lovey and maternal, and that's how they get in. <laughs> Eat your moose. Eat mouse. Oh, mouse. the mouse is right. Honey, did you, did you eat the mouse? Did you eat the mouse? <laughs> so, essentially, with Roman being the head of this satanic cult, they called them witches in the movie. They're not... Witches don't worship Satan. That's fucking dumb. But they're... This was the 60s. They didn't know any better. But he was the 
Roman was the head of this satanic cult. Who, Satan lives! Who was trying to bring the child of the Antichrist into the world. Or, well, Satan himself. And so, what ends up happening is Guy, Rosemary's husband, sells his wife's womb to the devil to have a proper acting career. And what makes Roman especially... Um, Minnie's a busybody, but you kind of expect that from a little old Jewish lady. Mm-hmm. The she sounds a little bit Jewish. It's more like she's from Brooklyn. But Roman, I, I thought she was from Jersey. No, she was from she was from New like York. all the the weird prints and everything that she was wearing. Oh, I was like, she I was, felt like she, she was, was like, just a, a little old lady trying to hang on to something trendy. Yeah, that's all from New York. But Roman especially was the the most sinister. Because you could always see him watching. Every time he was in the room, he was watching every single person around. Um, When Rosemary's friend came for a visit, uh, Roman was there with Minnie and was watching the whole thing. Like, you could not... Roman wouldn't let anybody out of his sights. And he was very... He was a man of few words. He didn't talk a ton unless he really had something to say. But he was so charming and so willing to be quote-unquote helpful and that's what made him such a good villain is because he was actually very likable both of them were Minnie was a little obnoxious because she was that very loudmouth well, New Yorker type but they were both very likable characters it and was... that's really an amazing thing for a villain to be because when the ending comes you're just like oh they were bastards the whole time. Yeah. The, that was the one thing was... Many, I could see her being... Yeah, okay, oh, you're just obnoxious. I can only do you in... Little, yeah, she was an obnoxious little bit. Little, little fucking doses, please. That's all I need. Uh, but Roman, um, the one scene that made me... That kind of put up a red flag for me was the dinner scene when they were first meeting yeah. Rosemary and the husband. Well, obviously they knew the husband because of, you know, he sold, uh, he sold hadn't his done wife. It yet. He hadn't done it yet. No, but they, but that's the thing. They're, they were in the, the process of it. And, uh, that's the reason why they got the house because it, it worked out in that, that favor. But the dinner scene with Roman where he's talking about religion and he's, and the funny thing is, is like. I am on this uh, – anytime like I meet somebody new or whatever, politics and religion are never part of the conversation because I'm not going to just throw in a bunch of shit and make somebody feel uncomfortable or whatever. Roman automatically goes into uh, Catholic priests and the just the, the church and everything else and then – and he goes, oh, you know, Rosemary, are you religious? And she's like, well, yeah, I, I feel like I am. He's like – and he automatically goes into this. Yeah, Rosemary grew up this, Oh, you, it's just all bullshit, and they're just and, he, and it's a very uncomfortable conversation. The way that he's presenting it, it's one of those, you know, uh, hand wavy type of situations. But and it's almost like it's coming from a, an old soul type of thing, where it's like they're stuck in their ways. And sure, he's just but, old and he's crabby. Get off my lawn. But that was the red flag for me where I was like, oh, yeah. something's up. But and he's so he, – but the Castavats are so warm and welcoming and that's what makes them so dangerous because it's really easy to fall in that trap. And you follow Minnie especially 
with Rosemary throughout most of her pregnancy where she's very doting and she's very willing to help Rosemary out and she's bringing her food and all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, I think Roman especially, uh, but the Castavets as, as a couple are definitely um, pretty strong villains. They were number two. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right, so my number two is another one that is extremely high up on my list. Uh, Clearly, for, it's your number two. Well, no, 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 not just for my number two, but, like, movies in general. It's The Thing from John Carpenter's The Thing. The alien? So, the alien creature that is that uh, going around the, the camp, taking over bodies, and becoming it. This alien is my... All time favorite movie prop. Again, another Halloween Horror Nights, you know, extravagant <laughs> prop design, you know, or in house. Like it's it's a great one to go that I love going through. Um, but it's like the look of the creature is one of my all time favorites, and it also helped spawn a lot of my creativeness in my art. Um, I love a lot of the monsters and creatures and things like that um one of my all-time favorite artists is alex pardee if you have don't know what he does he he did a bunch of the album covers for the used um he did one or two for in flames yeah and so i mean his artwork is a in in the same vein a lot of tentacles and spider you play with proportions a lot and that's what i think the the thing monster the puppet always did is it fucked with proportions quite a lot but i loved a lot of the shots where it made you feel it made you feel that you didn't know what was what was happening um just like all the other characters where they have no idea you know who the creature is or or you know or anything like as the movie's going on, uh, there's the one scene where they tie up um, the three men on the bench, and they're doing the blood test. They're you know t- testing it out and just making sure it's like okay, well it's going to protect itself. So and then all of a sudden they hit the one and it jumps right the fuck up, and then the guy starts to shake, and then he the automatically morphs and he just transforms into this fucking creature and it's just the most gnarly looking thing uh another one is the dog the dog is another one that was just so damn good um just because the whole time the the creature is in or it is the dog and it's just walking around this camp uh, you know the inside this camp and the dog that they got to play it it was weird the way that John Carpenter made it feel that it was sinister. Something was wrong with it. And it, it made you uneasy. And then when they put the dog in the kennel, all the other dogs like freaked out and was like trying to get away from it. And then it started to make that high pitch, like uh, almost like a staticky sound. And then the tentacles like lashed out and it was like latching on the dog and the head split open and I absolutely love, love this uh, alien. And then also the, probably one of the best scenes ever is the operating table where they're trying to 
you know, jumpstart the, the guy's heart. He had a, you know, falls down, has a heart attack, and then they go in for the defibrillators, and then the stomach opens up into this mouth, bites down. It's like takes off the, the doctor's hands, and then the big, you know, crazy tentacle uh, neck and... <laughs> I was like, oh my god, like, the, the whole thing is just, like, it blows my mind. And it, it's, to this day, it holds up, and it is so creepy and gross, and it's just, it, it's so, so good. And I guess, uh, because of, of how well, um, Halloween is doing with the, the next, uh, couple movies that are coming out, um, uh, you know, I guess John Carpenter's given his... Uh, blessing to continue that story, but he's also given his blessing to do another thing. Uh, I don't know. Really? Because that reboot didn't go very well. well. No, but it's going to be John Carpenter is going to be in it with them to just like he's doing with, with Halloween. Okay. But I don't know if there's rumor that it's going to be uh, not a reboot, but a sequel to John Carpenter's. Not a, a full-blown reboot. Sure. I don't know. But it's... I'm okay with that if they continue on. However, it, like, are you going to play with the story of, you know, uh, you know, Childs and McCready and, you know, what happened to them after they, they froze or... Well, if they do was, a direct sequel, they're going to kind of have to. Yeah. I mean, they, it was weird in the, um, the Universal Halloween Horror Nights, they did that where they played on that premise that... They went up, or like the government went up and to the the station, found a frozen child's and McCready, and then took them, uh, you know, collected everything, and then brought the the thing back with them. And that's where you're walking through. It's like a, a government facility tent, and all you know, the aliens coming at you and stuff like that. So I was like, that was a really cool premise. And it's like if they made a movie like that, I'm okay with that. So. Right. Um, but yeah, so the thing is my number two, and god damn it's so good. I want to watch it now. Uh, All right, so number one, Uno. We've made it to the number one. My number one is probably my most my most predictable on the list, mm. and I have been obsessed for months. Pennywise from it is my number one. No shit. That's my number one. Is it? It is my number one. All right. Look at my list. We're going to wrap this shit up all at once. Oh, that is, that's why we married, that's where we're married. That's why we are the Beverly's. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Pennywise looks cool, but the fact that he's this cosmic creature from universe ether who decided he liked Earth and he could feed here and just he's driven by the need to to feed but he likes i mean this is a villain who fear is a seasoning like that's how he tenderizes his meat and kids being the easiest easier to scare than adults um he prefers children and like there's so many elements to the Pennywise, even though the Deadlights is really what his real form is, he likes the clown form, and we all, a lot of people have issues with clowns just on a good day. But 
the fact that this is his favorite because this is how he can appeal to and lure children in because it's like, oh, clowns are funny, ha, ha, ha. Um, but they can also be very scary. It, everything about him just screams child bait and he has, I don't know, it's just, it's just so, the way he looks, the way he moves, the way he um, tortures his prey before he eats it, it's, everything about Pennywise is awesome. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on that. It's, the fact that it's a, the, the murdering clown, it's, again, I'm a sucker for clowns and that's, pretty much right. the reason why but because you bookended your list with clowns exactly um so for the reasons that i gave uh for liking freddy krueger it's almost the same thing for pennywise however the difference with pennywise is that he gets you whenever he wants yeah it doesn't have to be in a dream or you know like you know where you have to go to sleep to for him to get you but he's just as bad if not worse than Freddy, because yeah. he can pop up wherever you are, anywhere, anytime. You know, he got Beverly in the bathroom. Yeah. You know, things like that. Ben at the library. and uh, Just Bill on his bike. Like, there's just... He... Anywhere, anytime. And he's all over Derry. He haunts Derry. He's painted on walls. He's in newspaper clippings. He's... Yeah. In uh, uh, town history books, like Pennywise is everywhere. Yeah. The uh, the lore of Pennywise is is one of my favorites, just because of, of just how ancient he really is, mm-hmm. and it doesn't come out until Mike uh, comes across it and he understands that oh, it's every twenty seven years. Yeah, roughly. Um, and and well, it's it's Ben figures it out in the remake, but Mike was the one that in the uh, TV series that uh, that figures it out um, because he's he's the uh, history nerd or whatever. And, yeah, yeah. And so, just the the whole premise of the story where these you know the Losers Club is. Going out and they know that this clown is murdering kids and and taking and and killing them and just just eating them up and right you, up. The thing about the Losers Club too, as far as Pennywise goes, is that they they end up distracting him from his mission. Where it's just I'm awake, I need to feed, and then I go back to sleep. It's it's like a bear hibernation cycle kind of thing, but. The Losers Club give him so much trouble, he becomes focused and he becomes obsessed on them to the point where they probably did the town a favor because he wasn't hunting other children once he had his sights set on the Losers Club. Um, and boy, did he did he really lay it on with them. Yeah, they uh, the, some of them were really good. Uh, I, I think the best way to, to separate it out, I mean... What would you say, since we're we're talking about Pennywise here, which one are we talking about? Mm. Me, I'm talking about Bill Skarsgård. There it is. Um, I like the Tim Curry Pennywise, but he looks really cheap. 
like the I don't much care for the look of him because he's a dime store birthday clown. Um, but everything about the um, the remake version, the Andy Muschietti version, he's everything about him feels really old and authentic mm -hmm. and just something always off about the way he looks like the proportions are off where they you know made his head bigger um and bill skarsgård's built really funny because he's very gangly and thin anyway yeah so it's just everything about him looks otherworldly it looks really strange and looks old the, the textures of his his um the harlequin suit and everything else yeah. so well that that was my thing was uh when we first heard that they were going to be remaking it i got excited but then i also had a moment of that same kind of thing of that we always do with jack nicholson and the joker it's like oh well how is he gonna like you can't get any better than jack nicholson's joker right like that that's it and then all of a sudden heath ledger shows up and it was just like oh maybe you can fuck he's the new joke he's my new joker but it was just the same thing with with bill skarsgård where we we heard the name, we're like, how is that going to work? And then when we see him, we're like, holy shit. It worked. Like, that's good. And I absolutely love Tim Curry as Pennywise. The the Dime Store Clown get-up actually does it for me because it plays up on that, that same uh, kind of thought process that you just went on where it's unassuming – it's very welcoming. It's any kid is going to look at that clown and go, "Oh, it's just a clown," and then and then and then all of a sudden, oh, big gnarly shark teeth, you know, pop out. Uh, and that that first opening scene where the little girl and the um, uh, the laundry, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where and like when Pennywise shows up, he's like, "Hey," and then you know the shot where she's like, "Oh, hi." And then the the curtain or the the sheet moves across his face, and he's got this like the sneer, and it's a completely different feel, and it's it's not good. Uh, but Tim Curry does a fantastic job as Pennywise. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when they're looking through the the photo album, and they note they see one. It's a shot of Old Derry, and it's a circus. And all of a sudden, the picture start, comes alive, and a clown starts to do cartwheels up the center, and then it turns and looks, and then just roars at them and points. And then he runs up to the lamppost, and he's like, I'll kill you all. And it's like, holy shit, like, that's fucking terrifying. And then the hand pops out of the, yeah. the thing. That's really cool. I, I we, we talked about this during uh, our It Chapter 1 podcast but i in that scene for the remake i kind of wish that pennywise did something like that not just because there was the shots where it was the the projector where it was just flipping past the you know all the shots and the hair was coming across the face and then he came alive i was like i kind of wish that he was talking to him a little bit um but i mean still there's things about the TV series with with Tim Curry that that set you up, and it still is is terrifying on its own. Like uh, 
um, the bathroom scene in, in the school where he comes out of the drain and he's just like, how you doing? It's like, what's yeah, going on? And yeah, then the, it, you know. it is, but I think the Pennywise character overall, I think it was a little darker yeah. in the Andy Muschietti version. And I think that um, Bill Skarsgård really managed to... And I have to say that he's he's my Pennywise. He he embodied the darkness of the yeah. character, and just, and I think the reason why he was number one for me is because he actually is otherworldly, and he, there's always going to be that question of, because he was a part of the universe and the beginning of the universe, it's like, can you really get rid of something like that? Yeah. I mean that's that's putting the losers club in this the level of epic and it's just yeah. something that is so unbeatable and mm-hmm. they figured out a way to right. to beat it. Um and that was the thing was probably some of my favorite scenes uh you know came from the the remakes uh, from it, chapter one and chapter two, uh, I thought they did a, a fantastic job with the, with both yeah, of them. Yeah, well, I think you know separating the two. I think chapter two struggled a little bit towards the end, just because of the nature of how Stephen King writes. He has a real hard time tying it up at the end. Um, that's known. Like he, yeah. he even knows that it's not like it's a secret. So having to try to write a proper ending at the end of it, chapter two, to make it make sense and not be the weirdness of the book. Yeah. Well, the, the, I I like that they really played up on the, like from the TV series with the spider. (laughs) I was like, like everyone, all that I could hear about from them talking about chapter two, where they're just like, Oh, well they're going to do the spider. How are they going to do the spider? And they really played it up with him being this gigantic form. And I was like, that's fucking crazy yeah i mean there's some people that didn't really take to it but i still thought that they did a just a fantastic job with what they with what the context was the also uh for the the remakes having you know separating the kids story and the the adult story i thought it was a really good idea just keeping them segregated as where the tv series they mashed everything together they could do that because they were it was a Longer, that, yeah, longer it's a little run. more episodic. Um, but uh, all the stuff with Pennywise utilizing Henry Bowers uh, was really was really great. Um, and then all I think one of my favorite scenes from It Chapter Two is the witch. Um, so the the old woman in Beverly that lives in Beverly's old home. Uh, that scene. Oh, she wasn't a witch. She was just an old lady. No, no, no. She turns into the witch. Oh, okay. Like, so, uh, that, yeah, yeah, that, that was the thing is like, so she's in there and she's, uh, she's got the sores on her neck and you can see like the flies flying around and, and she does that whole, the Pennywise like look and just the, the stare after she like finishes a sentence and like, and then, uh, when she's like, Oh, I'll go get, I'll go get you some tea. And Beverly's looking around at all of her photos and she sees the photo of the like the original Pennywise um, and just that look of it. And then you can see the old woman in the background, like just in the shadows creep out. And then she like, like shuffles back and then 
starts to scoot across. She crosses the the opening of the the little doorway, and she's completely naked. And it's just like I was like, nope, no, 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 no. And then yeah. she comes out, and she's uh, this giant witch thing that comes out of at Beverly, and it's like fuck that yeah, noise. Yeah, he um. Oh god, so good. He targets kids. He thoroughly enjoys targeting kids. They're his tasty treat. And so I guess that I don't know what that says yeah. about us, but <laughs> Well But like the, yeah. the the pair of us here at Creepin' It Real have decided that the number one horror movie villain is a shape shifting cosmic in yeah. immortal I, clown. I think the the sum everything up for it it's that opening uh kill with Georgie. Like that is yeah. everything that that has to like just play into it, and especially with like Bill Skarsgård doing, like, "Hi, Georgie, nice boat." <laughs> it's like, oh man, like oh, I'm very uncomfortable. It doesn't doesn't feel right, and yep. and then him just drooling and stuff, and it's one of my favorite things is to watch uh, Bill Skarsgård. He goes on uh, Conan O'Brien, and Conan asks him. Like, oh, like, do they have to do, like, CGI to your face and stuff? And he's like, oh, no, I can do the eye thing. And, and, and the lip, that's like a, a family thing that me and my brothers would do just to, you know, trip each other out and stuff like that. And and he just does it, like, right in front of Conan. And Conan's like, holy shit! <laughs> like, and so that's one of the things, like, I love that Bill, in a weird way, can mangle his face for my entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, handsome yeah. Steve Buscemi. So, but uh, one of the the fan rumors that I've I've been hearing is that uh, because it chapter one and chapter two did pretty damn well. You think um, it yeah. chapter one is the highest grossing horror movie ever? ever. Yeah. So uh, two didn't do as good, but it's still not. It bad made at all. a fuckload of money. Yeah. Um, but I think because it did so well that they're, they're toying around with the idea of doing a Pennywise prequel to chapter one and chapter two, kind of explaining a little bit more. Well, and they, they teased something in, in chapter two, so yeah. it would be a natural next step if that, they wanted to, to make a pretty, yeah. and it would be an original piece. It's Stephen King hasn't written anything on But that was the thing the is, 80s. they are going to have Stephen King in the writing they, they would have to. Staff. Just to kind of keep up. It's like, okay, what do you think the lore would be? And like, I mean, this it is, is his what, property, yeah. so it so, makes sense. But that, that's where, it's like, that would be really cool. Um, even if they got, like, Joe King in there and stuff like that, that would be, yeah. um, you know, so I, I still, like, I'm, I'm all about it. The more Pennywise for me, the better. I'm all about it. All right, so, so that, yeah. that wraps this episode up. That was our top ten horror villains. Uh, what do you guys think? You can join us on social media and have a chat about it. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher at Creepin' It Real. R-E-E-L is in Movie Real. Uh, I mentioned our email before earlier, but just as a reminder, if you'd like to hit us up with um, movie ideas or other conversation, or if you maybe were on the hunt for sponsors, if maybe you'd like to be featured here on the podcast, you can email us at creepinitreal.cm at gmail.com. And if you really like us a whole bunch, and just a reminder, Christmas is a scant two months away, we're on Redbubble, so you can buy some creepy merch. Uh, com. that's where you can get all of your spooky needs. Um, it is October, tis the season to be spooky. So get on that. Um, but that's it. 
that's the end of our <laughs> top 10 horror villain bonus episode. We're so glad you joined us for oh, a second yeah. time this week. Oh, um, we're always here. And like we said before, it's like, please, we want to hear from you guys. So it's like, tell us what your top 10 are. Like, we love to... I mean, I was actually very surprised that we had that big of a difference in our list, where right. our number one is the only one to actually cross right. over. So that was... I was very, very proud of that. But we like to hear from you guys. And uh, yeah, and I, I like to jibber-jabber. So Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> All right, guys. Until next Tuesday, I've been Meg. I've been Lunchbox. And we will catch you then.